Section 50 of The Letters of Mark Twain Complete. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain. Volume 6, Chapter 48. Letters of 1910. Last Trip to Bermuda. Letters to Payne. The Last Letter. Mark Twain had returned from a month's trip to Bermuda a few days before Jean died. Now, by his physician's advice, he went back to those balmy islands. He had always loved them since his first trip there with Twitchell, thirty-three years earlier. And at Bay House, the residence of Vice-Consul Allen, where he was always a welcome guest. He could have the attentions and care and comforts of a home. Taking Claude the butler as his valet, he sailed January 5th, and presently sent back a letter in which he said, Again, I'm leading the ideal life, and am immeasurably content. By his wish, the present writer and his family were keeping the Stormfield house open for him in order that he might be able to return to its comforts at any time. He sent frequent letters, one or two by each steamer, but as a rule they did not concern matters of general interest. A little after his arrival, however, he wrote concerning an incident of his former visit, a trivial matter but one which had annoyed him. I had been with him in Bermuda on the earlier visit, and as I remember it, there had been some slight oversight on his part in the matter of official etiquette, something which doubtless no one had noticed but himself. To A. B. Payne in Redden, Bay House, January 11, 1910. Dear Payne, There was a military lecture last night at the officer's mess, Prospect, and as the lecturer honored me with a special and urgent invitation, and said he wanted to lecture to me particularly, I being the greatest living master of the platform art, I naturally packed Helen and her mother into the provided carriage and went. As soon as we landed at the door with the crowd, the governor came to me at once and was very cordial, and apparently as glad to see me as he said he was. So that incident is closed, and pleasantly and entirely satisfactorily. Everything is all right now, and I'm no longer in a clumsy and awkward situation. I met up with that charming Colonel Chapman and other officers of the regiment and had a good time. Commandant Peters of the Carnegie will dine here tonight and arrange a private visit for us to his ship, the crowd to be denied access. Sincerely yours, S.L.C. Helen, of this letter, was Mr. and Mrs. Allen's young daughter, a favorite companion of his walks and drives. Loomis and Lark, mentioned in the letters which follow, were Edward E. Loomis, his nephew by marriage, named by Mark Twain as one of the trustees of his estate, and Charles T. Lark, Mark Twain's attorney. To A. B. Payne in Redden, Hamilton, January 21, 10. Dear Payne, 
thanks for your letter and for its contenting news of the situation in that foreign and far-off and vaguely remembered country where you and loomis and lark and other beloved friends are i have a letter from clara this morning she is solicitous and wants me well and watchfully taken care of my she ought to see helen and her parents and claude administer that trust also she says i hope to hear from you or mr payne very soon i am writing her and i know you will respond to your part of her prayer she is pretty desolate now after jean's emancipation the only kindness god ever did that poor unoffending child in all her hard life yours ever s l c send clara a copy of howells's gorgeous letter i want a copy of my article that he is speaking of the gorgeous letter was concerning mark twain's article the turning point in my life which had just appeared in one of the harper publications howells wrote of it while your wonderful words are warm in my mind yet i want to tell you what you know already that you never wrote anything greater finer than that turning point paper of yours from the early bermuda letters we may gather that mark twain's days were enjoyable enough and that his malady was not giving him serious trouble thus far near the end of january he wrote life continues here the same as usual there isn't a flaw in it good times good home tranquil contentment all day and every day without a break i shouldn't know how to go about bettering my situation he did little in the way of literary work probably finding neither time nor inclination for it when he wrote it all it was merely to set down some fanciful drolleries with no thought of publication to professor william lyon phelps yale college hamilton march twelve dear professor phelps i thank you ever so much for the book footnote professor phelps essays on modern novelists End of footnote. which i find charming so charming indeed that i read it through in a single night and did not regret the lost night's sleep i'm glad if i deserve what you have said about me and even if i don't i'm proud and well contented since you think i deserve it yes i saw professor lounsbury and had a most pleasant time with him he ought to have stayed longer in this little paradise partly for his own sake but mainly for mine i knew my poor jean had written you i shall not have so dear and sweet a secretary again good health to you and all good fortune attend you sincerely yours s l clemens he would appear to have written not many letters besides those to mrs gabrilovich and to stormfield but when a little girl sent him a report of a dream inspired by reading the prince and the pauper he took the time and trouble to acknowledge it realizing no doubt that a line from him would give the child happiness to miss sulamith in new york bay house bermuda march twenty one nineteen ten dear miss sulamith 
I think it is a remarkable dream for a girl of thirteen to have dreamed, in fact for a person of any age to have dreamed, because it moves by regular grade and sequence from the beginning to the end, which is not the habit of dreams. I think your report of it is a good piece of work, a clear and effective statement of the vision. I am glad to know you like the Prince and the Pauper so well, and I believe with you that the dream is good evidence of that liking. I think I may say, with your sister, that I like myself best when I am serious. Sincerely yours, S. L. Clemens Through February and most of March, letters and reports from him were about the same. He had begun to plan for his return and concerning amusements at Stormfield for the entertainment of the neighbors and for the benefit of the library which he had founded soon after his arrival in Reading. In these letters he seldom mentioned the angina pains that had tortured him earlier, but once when he sent a small photograph of himself it seemed to us that his face had become thin and that he had suffered. Certainly his next letter was not reassuring. To A. B. Payne in Redden. Dear Payne, we must look into the magic lantern business. Maybe the modern lantern is too elaborate and troublesome for back settlement use. But we can inquire. We must have some kind of a show at Stormfield to entertain the countryside with. We are booked to sail in the Bermudian April 23rd, but don't tell anybody. I don't want it known. I may have to go sooner if the pain in my breast doesn't mend its ways pretty considerably. I don't want to die here, for this is an unkind place for a person in that condition. I should have to lie in the undertaker's cellar until the ship would remove me, and it is dark down there and unpleasant. The colliers will meet me on the pier and I may stay with him a week or two before going home. It all depends on the breast pain. I don't want to die there. I'm growing more and more particular about the place. With love, S.L.C. This letter had been written by the hand of his secretary, Helen Allen. Writing had become an effort to him. Yet we did not suspect how rapidly the end was approaching and only grew vaguely alarmed. A week later, however, it became evident that his condition was critical. Dear Payne, I've been having a most uncomfortable time for the past four days with that breast pain, which turns out to be an affection of the heart, just as I originally suspected. The news from New York is to the effect that non-bronchial weather has arrived there at last therefore if i can get my breast trouble and traveling condition i may sail for home a week or two earlier than has heretofore been proposed yours as ever s l clemens per h s a in this letter he seems to have forgotten that his trouble had been pronounced an affection of the heart long before he left america though at first it had been thought that it might be gastritis. The same mail brought a letter from Mr. Allen, explaining fully the seriousness of his condition. I sailed immediately for Bermuda, arriving there on the 4th of April. 
he was not suffering at the moment though the pains came now with alarming frequency and violence he was cheerful and brave he did not complain he gave no suggestion of a man whose days were nearly ended a part of the stormfield estate had been a farm which he had given to jean clemens where she had busied herself raising some livestock and poultry after her death he had wished the place to be sold and the returns devoted to some memorial purpose the sale had been made during the winter and the price received had been paid in cash i found him full of interest in all affairs and anxious to discuss the memorial plan a day or two later he dictated the following letter the last he would ever send it seemed fitting that this final word from one who had so long given happiness to the whole world should record a special gift to his neighbors to charles t locke in new york hamilton bermuda april sixth nineteen ten dear mr locke i have told payne that i want the money derived from the sale of the farm which i had given but not conveyed to my daughter jean to be used to erect a building for the mark twain library of redden the building to be called the jean l clemens memorial building i wish to place the money six thousand dollars in the hands of three trustees payne and two others h a lounsbury and william e hazen all of redden these trustees to form a building committee to decide on the size and plan of the building needed and to arrange for and supervise the work in such a manner that the fund shall amply provide for the building complete with necessary furnishings leaving if possible a balance remaining sufficient for such repairs and additional furnishings as may be required for two years from the time of completion will you please draw a document covering these requirements and have it ready by the time i reach new york april fourteen very sincerely s l clemens we sailed on the twelfth of april reaching new york on the fourteenth as he had planned a day or two later mr and mrs gabrilovich summoned from italy by cable arrived he suffered very little after reaching stormfield and his mind was comparatively clear up to the last day on the afternoon of april twenty first he sank into a state of coma and just at sunset he died three days later at elmira new york he was laid beside mrs clemens and those others who had preceded him the last day at stormfield by bliss carmen at redding connecticut the april sunrise pours over the hardwood ridges softening and greening now in the first magic of spring the wild cherry trees are in bloom the bloodroot is white underfoot the serene early light flows on touching with glory the world and flooding the large upper room where a sick man sleeps slowly he opens his eyes after long weariness smiles and stretches arms overhead while those about him take heart with his awakening strength morning and spring in the air the strong clean sense of earth the call of the golden shaft ringing across the hills he takes up his heartening book 
opens the volume and reads a page of old rugged carlyle the dour philosopher who looked askance upon life lurid ironical grim yet sound at the core but weariness returns he lays the book aside with his glasses upon the bed and gladly sleeps sleep blessed abundant sleep is all that he needs and when the close of day reddens upon the hills and washes the room with rose in the twilight hush the summoner comes to him ever so gently unseen touches him on the shoulder and with the departing sun our great funning friend is gone how he has made us laugh a whole generation of men smiled in the joy of his wit but who knows whether he was not like those deep jesters of old who dwelt at the courts of kings arthurs pendragons leers plying the wise fool's trade making men merry at will hiding their deeper thoughts under a motley array keen-eyed serious men watching the sorry world the gaudy pageant of life with pity and wisdom and love fearless extravagant wild his caustic merciless mirth was levelled at pompous shams doubt not behind that mask there dwelt the soul of a man resolute sorrowing sage as sure a champion of good as ever rode forth to fray haply who knows somewhere in avalon isle of dreams in vast contentment at last with every grief done away while chaucer and shakespeare wait and moliere hangs on his words and cervantes not far off listens and smiles apart with that incomparable drawl he is jesting with dagonet now end of section fifty recording by james k white chula vista end of the letters of mark twain complete by mark twain